Welcome to the Leadership Wiley series. In today's episode, I talked to Leadership Wiley Class 20 participant Scott Williams. Scott is the owner of Fire and Water Restoration Plus LLC and is a Wiley City Council member. I found that out today. Um, welcome to the show, Scott, and thanks for joining Leadership Wiley. Uh, thanks, Stephen. I keep that on the DL. I just don't. Uh, I don't put that out there so much. You're an incognito city council member. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just trying to serve the community. Now, it yeah, sounds it sounds cheesy when you say it. So I just try not to say it and just try to do it, do it behind the scenes. Yeah, you don't want it to let it define you. It's it's just right. something you do. Correct. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so I like to get started to uh, with with a with a real deep question. So. Uh, what are the most important things I need to know about you to understand who you are? Oh, um, family, um, and my relationship with Christ, probably my two number one, um, things that make me who I am, make me, um, why I do what I do. Um, I'll stop there. That's, that, that's my main, my main nut right there. Fair enough. Um, so you obviously are in leadership, Wiley. I believe your business has been downtown for 10 years. Is that right? Correct. So um, prior to that, what is your Wiley origin story? How did we get here? Um, so I've been in the Saxe Wiley area for, I don't know, 23 years or so. Um, grew up in uh, Phoenix, age of 15, ended up moving to Garland, um, where I went to Dallas Christian High School. And um, then out to ACU and then kind of bounced around, you know, here and there, landed in Mesquite for a little bit, but ended up in Saxe about 23 years ago in Woodbridge. I've been in the Saxe Wiley area ever since. Was there anything in particular about Saxe Wiley that drew you to the area? Uh, of course, it was the small town and small town feel and same thing we've got going now, even though we've quadrupled in size. You know, just keeping that, you know, um, we call it keeping Wiley Wiley, but same thing, whether it's Axie Murphy, it's, you know, our, our community out here being a community and uh, having that community feel no matter how how big we get, mm-hmm. where we care about each other. You know, the, like the schools have the Wiley way, you mm-hmm. know, which has been drilled into our kids. It's really a, a way of life, which you know, yeah. I think we really enjoy. Yes, for sure. So what made you want to join Leadership Wiley? I have had it on my um, want list for several years and knew that it was a pretty um, large time commitment, but the return would be exponential and I've heard really good things about it. And so the opportunity came up and it looked like the timing was right. So Judy and I both pulled the trigger at the same time and said, let's, let's do it and let's do it together. Yeah. That was actually my next question as you decided that to do it with your wife, what, what went into the decision uh, to do it together? Um, we do life together. I tell you, we don't um, ride together as much as we used to. Used to, if you saw us, we were together. Mm-hmm. You know, our Facebook says Scott and Judy Williams for a reason. You know, yeah. we, we do life together. It's not a facade. It's not, um, you know, put out there as something that uh, is is just words. It really is how we try to live life. So um, it was it was a benefit to know that we can do it together. Um, and reap the rewards at the same time, but also just get to enjoy doing something together where we carve out time and uh, get to focus on our community and what how our community operates, but at the same time, get to do it together. For sure. How did y'all meet? Oh, wow. Um, crazy story. We um, I originally met her. Uh, she was helping uh, L&L, used to be in downtown Wiley, when lawyers, the building of lawyer's title was Keller Williams. It first opened. And she was helping um, uh, 
do the um, catering there. And I was there networking for my contracting business and met her for the first time there, had a you know 15 minute conversation and didn't see her for five years later. Oh, wow. So when I saw her five years later, yeah, when I saw her five years later, uh, I was sitting on the uh, board for Saxe Chamber of Commerce and she had been hired to work at the chamber and walked into a, a board meeting. And that was the first time I saw her since I'd seen her five years earlier. That's wild. So that's that's how I got to know her and, you know, fell in love with her. And she is my one. There you go. Um, so it sounds like you were on the Saxe Chamber board. You were you're on the city council. What what makes it what? Uh, sounds like being active in your community is very important to you. What what drives you to be active in your community? Yeah, it is. I uh, when I was on the Saxe Chamber board, I was also on Saxe's planning and zoning. Um, and part of that being active in the community is seeing what's going on in our community. And uh, my construction background, I see that your planning and zoning is at the core of your community. It is the infrastructure that develops how the community unfolds. And so seeing that, I've always had a draw to that. I've always had a desire to uh, help grow the community, but at the same time, see healthy infrastructure. And so I've known uh, that I wanted to run for council for a long time, which is why when the opportunity presented itself, it, it seemed like, hey, the time was then, even though I had a lot of other stuff going on at the same time, it just seemed like the right time. So I, I love being able to see that growth change in our community and see it in a healthy way. So that, that's probably what drives a lot of it is being involved to be able to see it be healthy, but at the same time, see what's coming mm -hmm. uh, and see that that happen as it's coming. It's exciting. Yeah. You said you'd mentioned you you had wanted to run for city council for a long time. When, when did that uh, start? When did that thought start entering your head? Oh, it was probably back in, I don't know, uh, 2008, 9, 10, somewhere around there. Okay. So yeah, been been a while back then, and and Judy knew that that's always been in my plan at some point. Uh, she knew that's where my heart was. Yeah. And I just enjoy serving that way. Um, you know, and that's just something in addition to what we really do and serving our families and you know our community and stuff. It's just a it's just an extra thing, but <laughs> it has to do more with the planning and zoning uh, of the control of the infrastructure. Because um, mm -hmm. without the right infrastructure, you can't grow healthy growth. You, know, right. you get to, to where you've got too much traffic, too much this, too much that. So it's all a balancing act. Yeah. So has uh, serving on city council been what you thought it would be? Uh, it has. It really, um, it, it has been right along the lines of what I was anticipating. Um, it's been uh, probably neat to see more things that I didn't realize happen in executive session behind the scenes, things mm -hmm. that, you know, the hush hush you can't talk about, which is what executive session is. Um, and it's neat to see those things happen. You know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of things in a city that, you know, happen behind the scenes before something actually comes to fruition. A lot of things that, you know, you, you work on, uh, kind of like in business, you know, we work on different plans of direction and whatnot before we have actually, you know, fruit that comes from that. And so it's the same thing with the city and, and uh, I've enjoyed getting to see um, the change in uh, citizens' lives. Like the when when something actually matters to people and they show up, uh, it's a big deal. At least uh, from my perspective as a council member, you know, when people show up 
why they're showing up and what their concerns are. Um, same thing with um, when uh, zoning next to someone's house is changing from being ag to now, you know, going to be a business wants to come in or this wants to come in. Looking at, well, what was that going to be before? What was it zoned as? So when those people bought that house, they were promised that, that would be a this. Now, if it's a it's an ag field, then you got to kind of look at the overall city and the corporate plan and the what's good and healthy for everybody. But if it's already been rezoned one thing, then people bought that house with the anticipation of that property there would be this. I, I consider it it's kind of a promise from the city. Hey, if mm-hmm. we promise this will be this if you'll do that. And so I take it seriously when someone wants to change that because those citizens around there, they they invested in that that promise. And so that matters to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I've enjoyed seeing all those changes. Yeah. Have you learned any lessons in particular from um, either running for city council or being on city council? The public spotlight can be hard. It really can just be hard. You know, people, um, I, I really wish that our um, society could get back to respecting the fact that we have differences. And still just loving each other through those differences. Yeah, we might not agree on this or agree on that. And okay, we can just respect that we disagree and and still have the best intentions for each other. And so uh, the running process was a really, really hard walkthrough. Uh, it was hard for my family. It was hard for my business. It was hard for everything. Um, I know it was worth it and it had its you know purpose and still does. But it uh, if I had a, something to say, it would be that people could learn to be better at just respecting the fact that if we're different, we're different. We don't have to not like each other. We don't have to, you know, disassociate with each, with each other. I feel like we can learn more from people that we have a different view of than we can from people that we have the exact same view. And so it's neat to, I, I used the example with someone of going on vacation. You know, when Judy and I travel, we go world and try to find people to take their culture to see the differences. Different, different ways they act different ways they do different things and we enjoy immersing ourselves into their culture which is really exciting enough for us to spend money to go across the world to do that and so i think we need mm-hmm. to take a do a better job of embracing that here locally that hey we're we're yeah. different and it's good that we're different let's let's enjoy yep. those differences you know ask people about it and, and take the next steps to find out you know hey why this why that mm. I also think that, yes, we have our differences, but like we've got a lot more uh, common ground than we do differences. The differences seem to bubble up to the top a lot of times, but if we looked more about how can we connect versus how can we be different, we would be in a lot better place as a society, I think. I agree completely. I agree completely. Um, And it seems like the people that you have the biggest differences with whenever you get asked that um, that reality of we have differences and look for those commodities, the conversations that you have are so exciting and so healthy that mm-hmm. because it's on both sides, it's all new. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's all getting to hear new stuff. And, you know, and to me, new is exciting. Yeah, I like the new, you know, I want to eat new things. I want to try new things. So um, I think it's neat, like you said, to be able to focus in on those commonalities uh, and let those be what draws together instead of those differences. Yeah. And it's so easy nowadays to get stuck in your echo chamber and hear just things you believe and surround yourself with the same people who believe the same things. And even you go on to the same websites and that gives you a certain reality. And 
And the reality of reality is we're all living a different one slightly and the news Mm -hmm. sources and, and fringe groups and everything like that can change how you see things. And I've always been a proponent also of like, if you're not like, if you're like, Oh, I don't like this type of person or whatever. I bet if you spent some time with them, you would feel differently. Yep. You go, Oh, you're a human too. Yeah. Okay. Well, and unfortunately, I think that while the internet is phenomenal and even being able to do what we're doing right now, mm-hmm. the disconnect of loss of relationship is crippled our society. It's just yes. absolutely crippled our society in every aspect, in every uh, industry, in every, you know, just realizing that relations, we are built for relationship mm-hmm. and uh, us not having that relationship is is hurting and we need to do a better job at at being intentional on relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a, um, the, I was listening to a podcast and they, that loneliness is as dangerous to a person as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And, and I, I, I'm love the technology that we can have this chat, even though we're not in the same room, but you know, that doesn't replace getting lunch with somebody because there is something to, being in the same vicinity, breathing the same air, you know, mm-hmm. breaking bread with somebody, you know, there's just something different about that. Having, you know, more senses than just visual and audio, you get touch and yeah. whatnot. And yeah. it just, it's, it's different and that we shouldn't completely replace our uh, lives with online. We should enhance what, uh, what we have in person with online, but uh, have more community in person rather than than online based. Right. Yeah. And COVID COVID helped bring about some great technology and, and great, you know, thinking outside the box. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it was clear through COVID. And I don't don't know anyone I've talked to that wouldn't agree. That loneliness is not healthy. No. It's not healthy. You know, we are made for community. We're made to be able to engage each other face to face, person to person, like you're saying, or yeah. like you're breathe the same air. That's yeah. a great way of putting it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like during COVID that doesn't sound like a positive thing, but I feel like that was some, I feel like that's the part we were missing was just like, like, cause we were able to hang out online and do conversations like that and whatnot, but it just does not like, there was still something missing. And I think that's that in-person piece was it. Yeah. I'll translate that to to a a family style relationship. You know, I I can, I can FaceTime with my grandbaby all day long Mm -hmm. and it is great. But there is nothing that beats just knowing she's in the other room watching TV and mm-hmm. being able to go hug her anytime I want. They're, For sure. Know, they're, they're both good, but the in-person is, is far surpasses the ability just to be able to see her. Absolutely. Um. So I, I noticed that so fire and water restoration plus is the main business, but I noticed you were have owned several businesses, correct? Right. So what yeah. what you want to tell us a little bit about those businesses? Sure. Um, all of the businesses that we have have evolved from this ecosystem around insurance restoration. And insurance restoration, while it sounds like it's just insurance, it's really catastrophe-based and people buy insurance for catastrophes. And how you work with the insurance company is a whole other animal. So um, everything that happens with that construction, with that restoration, so if someone has an, an initial flood, so we do the dry out. We have the fans, the humidifiers, all the technicians, 
uh, do emergency response 24 hours a day. We do commercial, we do residential. So we we come out and deal with the initial emergency and get everything stabilized. You can think about it as triage uh, in the healthcare. You know, we get the person stable. We get the house stable, everything stable where you can kind of breathe and make a plan and figure out now what can we do? Because uh, when it first happens, it's everything is reactionary. It is reactionary. And now, fortunately, we react with a plan. So we have a, a, a planned way of being in reaction mode, but it, it is reactionary. The idea is to get it stable where then it can be planned. So we handle that initial part, which is referred to as mitigation. Uh, then we handle the second part, um, which is uh, dealing with the planning of contents and where the owner is going to live. Can they live in the house or not? Do they have to move out? They have to move out. Where does all their stuff go? How does it get taken? Where does it get put? How does it get put back? And so um, under the content coverage, that's referred to as ALE, additional living expense, or no, sorry, that's your content coverage, uh, which is just uh, dealing with the contents. Uh, and then the reconstruction side. So we, we deal with that side as well, um, where we uh, um, figure everything out to be able to put the house back like it was. And then we do all of the construction beginning to end. In the interim, in the interim, the owner needs to move out if they need to move out. We've packed everything up. Uh, Judy runs the content packout division. So that's what that's her key, key role. So uh, she and um, the girls and some guys come in and they pack everything. They inventory every single item. They pack it, wrap it. They're phenomenal at what they do. I mean, it's just incredible. They'll do a pack out and have 500 boxes from the pack oh, wow. out and you know so they'll get everything packed up ready for our professional movers to come in and do all the moving and so uh we take every piece of furniture gets wrapped in blankets saran wrapped um so that it ends up being able to go away to climate controlled storage and then um after the repairs are done you know owner moves out repairs are done then we bring it climate control storage the professional movers unload everything and then uh judy and her team unboxes everything putting everything back in a, in every single place wow whatever's on the wall whatever's on the shelf whatever's in the drawer whatever i mean putting back an entire house wow and so yeah she is she is phenomenal i don't know how she does what she does but she does it really really well she i just know every it. time i've moved i've realized how much stuff i have so i couldn't yeah. imagine trying to inventory all of it and also That's figure it. out okay it needs to go exactly to this place uh, oh man and then put it all back in the That's... same spot. if there is a I, I tell people if that remote is on that table to that tv when we get done that remote will be on that table to that tv that's why it is, it is that level of detail now some people say hey this closet don't unbox everything i kind of want to go through those boxes and i want to purge at the same time yeah so that's pretty popular but um, from from her organizing the drawers to organizing the shelves to organizing the closets as she puts them back, it is she's really incredible at what she does. That's amazing. And so, uh, yeah, so that's the content side. And then we do the reconstruction. So we do the full the full house. So we've got houses. We built the whole house from ground up. We've got houses that we've done additions on while we do it. We've got houses that we do, you know, the fire burns, burns the whole house. So we we do everything. Uh, we do commercial, you know, the carpet and drywall and ceilings. We we normally don't build commercial buildings. That's a little bit outside our repertoire. But anything on the inside, we call it white box in. Anything on the inside can handle, you know, full turnkey. So our goal is cradle to grave white glove service. That is it from beginning to end, from the catastrophe to the point in time in which they will later look back 
and the person who experienced the catastrophe will look and be like, okay, I'm over that. Yes, I'm recouping because I, I tell people those things will always be a point in time that you refer to in your life. That's before the fire, after the fire. That's before the flood, after the fire. It's a mm-hmm. it's a significant event. And it's a, it's really different for us because we are hand-holding people through this major life trauma. That's probably mm-hmm. one of the worst times in their lives, second to, you know, uh, deaths of family members and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so it's a it's a hard emotional thing. If you talk about the elderly, the elderly, it's extremely, extremely difficult because they have so much psychological stuff going on at the same time, being pulled away from everything that is their safe spot. Um, and when they come back, it'll never be the same, even though it's rebuilt, it's redone, it's still never the same. So there's a lot of um, care and handholding and stuff that goes into what we do. Mm-hmm. being a being there from beginning to end that it's it's not really just a business it's really you know our servant heart you know just being able to love on people through helping them through a really hard time there's a lot there <laughs> yeah yeah well and you yeah. asked me about the different businesses i started in on that train just to say out of that we evolved other businesses so our construction business had to buy a lot of product all the time so we uh. we created a company, Chic Home Finishes, that sells cabinets, flooring, lighting, um, all that. And it sells to other contractors as well as fire and water. Mm-hmm. So it sells, you know, tile. It's, I mean, any of your interior finishes, that's what it sells. So we created that company. Um, I, I uh, got my public adjuster license and created a public adjusting company only because I have so many general contracting friends that know I've been in insurance restoration for 30 years and they have a difficult claim from time to time. And they need help with it. Well, the only way I can help legitimately is to have a license mm-hmm. and be able to step in and be like, look, this is what the pieces of the puzzle that's being missed. Um, you know, a lot of times it's just an inexperienced adjuster or the contractor doesn't know how to correlate the work he needs to do to the insurance company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm able to step in and, and help in those ways. Um, I've got another business partner that we created a company called ALE Home Solutions, where we buy houses, we furnish them, and then we put them on the market for temporary rental so that people that have insurance losses uh, or catastrophes or they're remodeling can have a place to go that's furnished for extended period of time, so one month, two months, three months. And so that's a, a market within itself. And all of those things came from having the need and not being able to find a place to pass that customer for that need mm-hmm. and then trying to fill that need. A lot of people say, well, man, you just, you just trying to grab every penny. And I'm like, well, not really as much as I'm trying to keep the process flow and keep that ecosystem spinning without mm-hmm. having stop and starts and everything in our world as general contractors is control, trying to control, trying to control people, trying to control materials, trying to control schedules. Everything is control. And so uh, I've tried to grab different ways of helping that control, which ultimately to the end user looks seamless. It's mm-hmm. really, I need a signature here, a signature here, a signature here. Mm-hmm. We'll take care of everything else. Yeah. And the idea is it's as seamless and, you know, as possible. Because they're already going through a hard enough time walking through this tough stage in life. They don't need it to be more difficult with, well, how do I pair, how do I pair the insurance company with the contractor? How do, where do mm-hmm. I go? How do I find a place? How do I, the unfortunate part for us is people that don't use us or a service like ours, they never realize what they missed. They go through and they have all the pain of 
not having had someone walk through all of those stages with them. Yeah. But because they didn't do it, they never realized what they missed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you mentioned the grabbing, grab, trying to grab all the dollars. I, I I don't see it that way. I see it as you see a gap in in the amount of service that you can give, and so like how to further help your client like how do we further help them if there's nobody in the market to do it let's do it well and yeah so i i had i had a customer um the parishes good example you know great client ended up having to drive from uh saxe wiley area all the way i want to say it was richardson or allen or someplace mm-hmm. uh miss sergeant same thing had to go all the way to allen had a fire you know um so people they have their kids in Wiley. They can't find a temporary place. And they're having to drop their kids off and run over here and run over there and pick them up for soccer and then go to Allen and then, you know, back and forth. And it creates such a complication. And as we hand carry them through this, you know, one month, two month, three month, six month process, depending on what's going on, we see that strain on their family and we mm-hmm. see how hard that is on them. Uh, and our hearts hurt. I'll just say it. Our hearts hurt. Like us knowing when we're talking to someone, Hey, this will make your life so much easier. Like, and it's so hard when you know that and you can't get them to see that you really know what's best for them and you really want to help them. Um, and they think it's better. And then so many times they come back and they go, Scott, I should have just, just should have listened. I should have listened <laughs> to you. And I'm, and I'm like, well, that's great, but you still, now you're still hurting and that doesn't help that you should have, right. you know, right. but uh, it's, it's the industry we're in. And uh, yeah. Yeah, the for anybody wanting to start a business, one of the ways I've heard is to come up with an idea is think about the things that really annoy you or the things that yeah. are just uh real big problems in your life and figure out a way to solve that. And that's your business yep. idea. That's and it. that goes for if you own a business, a way to mitigate, oh, well, this is annoying. I wish I didn't have to give this off to this guy because I know I could do better service. Like you can spin off businesses from your businesses as well. Exactly. Exact cross revenue stream at the same time as yep. serving people really well and do right. do less, just do it really well. Right. Exactly. Um, so tell me, so you've owned businesses for quite a while. How, what was the, uh, what was the journey like to becoming a business owner? I started so early. I mean, I, I started roofing when I was 15 and by the time I was, you know, 16, 17, I started uh, doing carpentry in and uh, doing repairs and started as a subcontractor. So I started technically with my own business at, you know, I think 16. Um, and I remember, you know, I came up with a, a business idea that because I'd done roofing that everyone hated, just like you were talking about, come up with an idea on something that, you know, you hate or you see that need. Roofers hate, you know, hated tearing off the shingles and hated putting all the shingles on the roof. We call it drying the roof in. Tear the roof off, you felt it, and then you stock it. You put all the shingles there. And now you're ready to shingle. And your your shingling is what makes all the money. Installing the shingles, but the other stuff doesn't really pay well. So people, it's hard work, and uh, people don't like doing it. So I came up with a business just doing that. That uh, we would show up and get that roof torn off, felted in, dried in. And uh, it was great. The only challenge there was it was really tough at 16 hiring guys, you know, because most of them were, you know, twice my age Mm -hmm. and getting them to listen to me when I said, hey, you need to do this. And they said, well, no, I'm doing this. Uh Uh, You know, that that always that created a challenge. But 
it was a challenge I, I learned to overcome, you know, just mm-hmm. having a business young mm-hmm. and, and having to kind of try to stand on my own feet, even though I was so young, um, just working hard at it and showing, hey, I can do it through through working hard. So was there ever a point where you didn't own your own business? No, I uh, I had a two and a half year stint at uh, City of Plano. Um, uh, had a uh, 2011, 2012, life turned upside down. I also had a big major motorcycle accident. Mm-hmm. year later, I got bacterial meningitis, 21 days on life support, about died, got out, got pancreatitis. So I had a- My goodness. I had a, a two-year stint there. Of, you know, I had 14 surgeries when I had the motorcycle accident. It took two oh. years to heal. Um, and in the middle of that, I was restarting- rebuilding the company, which is when Judy and I started Fire and Water. So we started Fire and Water and got it going. And uh, after I had the bacterial meningitis, I had to do something to keep the bills paid while we were building the company. So I took a position with the city of Plano, running all of their um, uh, like Habitat for Humanity and their contractors that uh, do the um, um, CDBG, Community Development Block Mm -hmm. Grant uh, work. Uh, so doing that work and uh, coming up with programs like their great update rebate and how that's going to work and, and stuff. So I took a position with them. Uh, I was there two and a half years uh, and stepped uh, into fire and water or back. You know, we had had it running and Judy, you know, uh, running the guys and, and doing the stuff while I was working for the city mm-hmm. and then uh, step back. So I, I don't know that I've ever had a stint that I wasn't self-employed. Uh, but I have had stints that I was employed by, uh, by another company. What was that like stepping into being employed after ha- having being self-employed for so long? Um, I thought it was great. It was, it was what I would call easy. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was effortless in the sense of, um, realizing that I, I don't, um, I don't have any problem eating the humble pie and I don't have any problem following a leader. You know, so it's knowing that I work for someone else the way I want someone to work for me. Mm-hmm. And so whatever their goal is, whatever we're doing, however they want to do it, you know, just wanting, just being able to be that person. That's probably what made it easier is I know what I want someone to be as an employee. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think while I was there, our numbers were the highest uh, that uh, I think the manager told me that they hadn't been that high you know, the customer satisfaction to the, mm-hmm. you know, the different matrix matrix they use to, to, to measure my, my job success were uh, looking really good while I was there. Yeah. So yeah. I know there's, there, there is that certain type of entrepreneurs. They want to start their own business just because they don't want to work for somebody else. Um, but then there's other, other people who start a business cause they're like, just got a lot of ideas and you, you want to take action on them and you're action oriented. It sounds like you're the 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 second one not the first one that is my yeah, yeah. I, I i love starting it if i could do nothing but start companies yeah that, uh, i would come up with ideas and start companies i mean i i've got a yogurt truck that i built had had my guys build it everything you know uh years back where you know uh, when food trucks first started coming out I, I came up with the idea in, in yogurt, you know, Froyo was really new. I mean, 2010, 2011 uh-huh. around there. And it was the new hot thing. And I thought, you know what? I bet I could make a mobile version. And we did. I mean, we modified it, it did it, built it like inside of it, like a restaurant with a, you know, three bay sink, hand wash sink, got it all engineered on generators that run all of the machines. 
how do people go? I mean, it, it it's a cool, cool setup that was all just a brainstorm and an idea of, Hey, I think yeah. I can do that. I want to do that. Um, yeah. You know, let's make that happen. Yeah. When, when food trucks started getting big, I had a food truck idea and it was, uh, uh, breakfast sandwiches, uh, called egg dicting sandwiches. Um, and all the, uh, different, uh, sandwich options would be named after, uh, popular drugs. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> That's probably that good my you grand idea. Too much time into that one. <laughs> I was in college at the time, so yeah. I had nothing but uh, nothing but time to think about ridiculous business ideas. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I had one that I, you know, uh, still might end up getting going. I don't know. That it's a it was a S to the third power students selling snacks. And mm. So just like your just like your ice cream truck that drives around, mm-hmm. it's you know kids right out of high school that you hire to drive around and sell snacks. And essentially yeah. just sell them to the kids as they get out of school, you know, just yeah. like the ice cream truck, but you got every kind of snack in the world. Yeah. You know, but you know, you, you're hiring kids. So they know people, so they know where to go. You know? Yeah. They know where the hot, hot spots of snack eatery That's are. That's it. That's it. There you go. So how has being uh, a business owner evolved over the years for you? Oh, Having several businesses and um, having, um, had, I'll say it, having had a business fail, you know, um, I had someone tell me, you know, you, you'll never be truly successful until you've had one fail, um, just because it really fuels your uh, desire not to fail, but your cautiousness of wanting to still look at, hey, what am I really doing and what's the commitment? Uh, because uh, you realize that failure costs a lot. It costs a lot of time, a lot of energy, and takes a lot to get it back going again. So um, me probably realizing that building certain things slowly, realizing that the future could be, it's been more beneficial than that fast, hard and heavy. You know, the company I had before, you know, everything turned upside down for me in 2011, 2012. We grew at a rate of 30 to 60% per year for five to six years straight. And to sustain that kind of growth is extremely difficult. Um, and sustain that kind of growth without having a proper footprint in place is four times more difficult. And so that's probably the biggest takeaway I got was realizing, okay, well, really need to have a good footprint and need to be able to plan growth so that as that growth comes later, that footprint is able to expand and you're not having to rebuild the whole foundation because you, your growth has exceeded what your footprint could possibly hold to start with. So putting that time initially at the beginning into what could grow later, even though you're not guaranteed to grow. So you don't have to start over later. It's probably my biggest, biggest root thought there. Yeah. Think about the systems that'll scale rather than just answering the current moment. Because uh, yeah, that uh, I went through a large period of growth earlier this year, and I definitely had to like, okay, I need to take a step back because I, like, I can't sustain this and take on more at this time. So like, I need to yeah. take a step back, figure out how to make this work and do it better. Um, well, well, and that that's exactly what we just did. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, for fire and water even. You know, coming out of COVID and then coming out of the freeze, you know, the freeze just inundated mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. So coming out of those two events, 
as a company, we had talent that we had just picked up along the way. As a company going through, as a company going through all of the freeze and coming out of COVID, we had acquired talent employees that were what I, more what I would call point and click. You meet every day, you tell what to do every day, you got to plan, you got to forward think everything, you got to double check everything, that kind of thing, rather than management level employees that have goal objectives. You can give them their tasks and goals, but you can also give them direction and they will take and run with the ball. And so we realized, um, okay, A, we needed to be able to offer health insurance and benefits in order to attract that talent. And B, we needed to be able to kind of wipe the slate and start over. And so that's mm -hmm. what we did. Uh, to some degree, we wiped the slate and started over and started uh, going after that talent. We got everything set up with our benefits correctly. So we could offer that even as a small business, which most small businesses have a really harder next to impossible time accomplishing that mm -hmm. and um, started going after that while free, working on rebuilding all of our uh, SOPs or standard operating procedures mm -hmm. so that we could scale. And so that is the, that is where we are at now. We are just at turning that clog wheel into starting to roll into our scalability model, um, trying to work through uh, finalizing our processes and everything so that as we go to scale, we can scale, whether it be, franchise, whether it be national growth, whatever mm -hmm. that looks like, just having that ready, uh, whether that's staying the same size we are now and just operating smooth and clean with, you know, good people and good, you know, uh, quality uh, operating procedures, whatever that looks like, just knowing that we're, we're going to get past that just being stressed because we don't have things, you know, lined out or we don't have the right people in the right positions. Yeah. I believe, uh, are you familiar with Jocko Willink? I'm not. Okay. He's a, he's a former Navy SEAL and he does a lot of like leadership training. I believe he would refer to this as decentralized command, basically okay. giving people, giving people the, uh, ability to make decisions without having to go to whoever the head person is, uh, to get things done. So instead of having that, I tell you what to do, you go do it. Having guys who have yeah. the ability to make those calls versus yeah. having to funnel people. up. Yeah. Empowering people to yeah. entrusting them to get things done rather than having everything get uh funneled into one spot and therefore having a roadblock and that one person yeah. has to make every call yeah i tell my guys all the time i might correct you if you take initiative and make a bad decision i will never get upset at you for mm -hmm. taking an initiative and making a bad decision you know, I, I, I'll guide and direct, but that initiative is all the difference in the world of people feeling like, okay, well, I can make a decision and uh, it's okay. Rather than mm -hmm. I need to go to, I need to go to you for every single thing. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that like you mentioned before, like you can't be truly successful until you have a failure. Like it's unfortunate that our, it's in our failures that we tend to learn the most mm -hmm. <laughs> and, right. and, a lot of workplaces are not set up to where failure is an option, even though really we should figure out how to fail, fail fast and fail cheap is the, uh, the mantra I've heard before and encouraging failure on a smaller scale, if possible to get those learnings, uh, rather than, uh, having to be perfect all the time. 
Yeah, yeah. If you're perfect, you're not hitting your boundaries. Right. If you're perfect, you're not excelling as far as you can excel uh, because at some point you've got to tip that line in order to cross over and knowing where that line is and getting as close as you can to it without going over. Um, that's the difference of failure, failure and success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that expansion of your, um, I, I think I heard it as, um, everything you want in life is outside of your comfort zone. Otherwise you'd already have it. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, so what we kind of touched it, but what are some unexpected challenges you've faced lately? in business for in our business it's cash flow our our business has always been cash flow is the, mm-hmm. the challenge you know um a lot of commercial businesses you know they operate on 30 60 90 in the insurance world there's just no telling there's no telling i mean i've got i've got ones that are huge that i'm waiting on for you know a year and a half and so um in the insurance world it's a, just a different animal so that that cash flow is probably the biggest the biggest hurdle and thing that's changed lately. So I, you know, I uh, used to in the insurance world, the, the policy and what the insurance company is supposed to do would always happen. It seemed like it just, it was an outlier or something didn't happen. Now it's more consistent that it's not happening. You know, um, things where, you know, Maybe at the end of the project, the insurance company is supposed to release the depreciation when the work is done, and there's an, a disagreement on the amount. Well, rather than releasing the amount that's undisputed, they hold it because that gives them leverage. Well, they're supposed to release it according to the law and policy and all that, but that doesn't change what they what what happens. And um, I've seen this in our industry as a whole, and I, I'm sure it's in all industries in different ways. But coming out of COVID. And coming out of a lot of the changes and um, loss of relationship and uh, conflict, now things that used to have more relationship and less conflict, like adjuster-contractor relation, which is like insurance company and contractor, now have more conflict. Mm. And that conflict is exacerbated by inexperience. Mm. And so... Uh, in the uh, insurance side, and I'm sure it's on the contractor side also. There's, there's you know, two sides and, you know, um, right and wrong on, on all sides. But on the insurance side, the uh, what I see is I see insurance adjusters um, are that are seasoned, that are knowledgeable, are getting less and less and less. The percentage is dropping because they're getting out of the industry due to so much conflict and loss of relationship. Well, to fill that void are insurance adjusters that are not experienced, which means that now I think like, I think we're at the point after going through COVID of everyone being in their house and you know doing things from the house where they can teach and train to real world outside of that. We've had such a loss that we've had adjusters that have been promoted to manager. And then so now we have a new fresh adjuster and we have a manager that's really inexperienced. And so when things come up, because in, in the insurance contracting construction world, there's so many variables. It's not like a car. That car is the same as that car is the same house. Every house is different. There's some mm-hmm. similarities, but they're all different. And so now you have decisions when an adjuster has a question and goes to a manager, that manager really as a whole is not seasoned and has the authority where he doesn't end up having to go to a manager above him 
or her that is seasoned, and he or she makes a decision and hands it down to the adjuster below, doesn't have any accountability for the decision made. That adjuster pushes out the decision as this is just what we're doing, and it's just flat wrong. And so it's it's really hard in our industry to to deal with that trying to educate at the same time respectfully because you know again in order for us to have happy healthy relationships we've got to respect each other we got to respect each other's position respect mm-hmm. you're just doing your just your job i'm just doing my job we have different perceptions but let me give you this perception from this experience and it's really hard without relationship and trust to get over some of those hurdles and so that here lately is probably one of the biggest challenges in our industry yeah the labor market in general is an interesting one because I'm an accountant and all my accountant podcasts talk about there's a nationwide accounting shortage, but like you could go into any industry. I feel like, and I feel like you yeah. hear the exact same thing, you know, the older baby boomer generation starting to retire. Cause they're just, they're just done. They're, they're, they're done. like, this, this ain't worth it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. And trying to fill that void of some of these positions that they've had for so long is definitely shaking things up. Uh, not always in a good way. And, uh, right. and I think some, well, there's a lot of industries trying to scramble around and figure out how to mitigate this. Um, yeah. cause it's, uh, it's been tricky. Um, yeah, it's a challenge. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what are you focused on with your business right now? Uh, that scalability. That's the main thing right now. Right now is, is just trying to get that footprint down, mm-hmm. um, get our management team uh, really solid uh, and get ready for the next steps. We've got some avenues of business that will um, send a lot of business our way that we've actually held off of uh, mm-hmm. just because I'm not comfortable. I'm not comfortable going in that direction until I feel like I feel like I've got the stability to handle what's going to come. Yeah. Uh, and in, in our industry, if you're good, you'll be busy. Mm-hmm. If you're good, you will grow. If you're yep. good, you're and 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 after having the challenges that I, I've had, I've kept us from growing for several years. And we mm-hmm. finally hit that that wall of okay, we have to grow. Mm-hmm. And that's what kind of caused that. I know I've done this before, I've seen XYZ. I know what that growth looks like. I don't want to get in the middle of that growth or two or five years down in that growth and realize. I really should have taken my time to do some things that were healthy back, you know, at the beginning now where I am, that would have made that part so much easier. So we've been trying to focus on getting that healthy stability under us so Mm -hmm. that as we go after those other growth models, we can sustain it. And we are not having to, again, like I said, rebuild that foundation just because we outgrew the foundation that we had. Yeah. Do you find it's a weird balance of trying to figure out how quickly to grow and figure out how to build the business to where you can sustain growth, but also bringing in enough business to keep things moving. Always, always, always. It is two steps forward, one step back. It is every time that you think, Hey, we are about to take off sprinting. You realize, okay, I need to go on my knees for a little bit and crawl. Um, And it could be a key employee. You know, I had one key employee that was just phenomenal. I mean, I was just incredible in every way. And uh, was right at the 90 day mark of handing him the keys to the kingdom kind of Mm -hmm. deal. And then the wheels fell off of his bus and, you know, Mm -hmm. he went sideways kind of thing. And you're just banging your head against a wall going, 
you know, what, what am I doing? What am I doing? Mm-hmm. Okay, now I got to start over. Uh, yeah. And the smaller you are, the harder that is because, uh, you know, those uh, uh, single uh, individual, you know, um, conflicts, problems, losses, mm-hmm. they all have a more dramatic ripple effect than sure. a larger company. And so trying to get over that hump where you can absorb those ripples and it not really, you know, slow your train down yeah. is, is a challenge. Yeah. And you don't want to focus too much time on, well, I got to build the foundation for eventually when I have a ton of business for too long and then not, and, and then ignore the building, the business side of things. Cause then you're like, well, I have the swimming pool for this, you know, eight ounces of water. That doesn't make sense. But you also don't want a fire hose blasting into an Ozarka water bottle or something either. It is a tough balance. It is yeah. a very tough balance. Um, so moving moving away from business and more to the personal and kind of we'll, we'll bridge that gap with asking. So with your business, you um, you are working with clients that are in some of their most vulnerable times. Has that uh, affected you personally and maybe just like how, I, I don't know, if outlook on life or how has that affected your your personal outlook uh, working with people so closely to essentially tragedy? Oh boy, be sure and save that question for Judy when, when you interview her. Cause I, I'll tell you that uh, we live, eat and breathe our company. Um, and I'm not saying I don't have a, uh, a heart for others because I, I completely do. Judy has such an empathetic heart for others. Um, I'm more on the analytical side mm-hmm. in problem solving, planning. She is on the empathy side. And so when you put us together, that's bedroom talk. You know, her at the end of the day, talking about, you know, how I ripped her heart out to see so-and-so, you know, have to go put their dog in a in a shelter, you know, deal for two months because they can't take them with them because they're going to an apartment that won't have, you know, won't let them have a dog or just different things that we experience and see. Mm-hmm. Uh, it all rolls over into our family life. Our kids know about every project. Our kids know, you know, the the challenges the and the good and the, you know, the, it's just our life. You know, we mm-hmm. live, eat and breathe it. And so um, it tends to roll over and it's, uh, it's good. Uh, there's times where it needs to be able to be stopped. And so we've tried to be intentional lately at realizing, you know, hey, we need to block this time out. We need to take this time for ourselves or this time for our family. Um, but as you know, when you own your own company, sometimes even when you do that, there's still something comes up that you, you've mm-hmm. just got to take care of. And that's, that's part of those things that people that want to get in and own their own company don't always realize what they're going to, what they're going to sacrifice at times, but it's, it's definitely worth the sacrifice. For sure. Uh, I noted that you're a big supporter of Wiley high school football and that your son is a starting center as a sophomore. Oh, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He uh, he is phenomenal. I mean, he is he started for several games, and uh, they've moved him kind of over to guard some now, mm-hmm. and so he's bounced back and forth. But he is doing incredible. I'm really proud of him. Um, you know, I love all of our Wiley schools. I'm obviously partial to High and Cooper because that's where my kids are right now. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, I love Dr. Vincent. I love our school board. Um, we are just we are blessed as a community to have the school district we have. Absolutely. Has football always been a passion for you or has that been a family because he's playing? So it's been, I played football um, and and enjoyed it. So it's been a passion. I don't follow it super closely on, uh, 
you know, uh, pro and everything. We do follow OU a lot, you know, love, mm-hmm. love watching OU and that's where he wants to end up going. Ideally he'd, he'd go to OU, but you know, he really wants to play football and uh, he's grown into it. He's sacrificed, but that's probably the biggest thing is seeing what he, what he's learned in it and what, cause I coached him early on. So mm-hmm. my goal early on was just to coach him the basics. Uh, and we lost like almost every game because I, I ended up getting all the new kids that had never played before. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we had a great time. We learned the basics. Well, I've got to see a bunch of those kids now grow up and be you know great players. Well, seeing Jace um, sacrifice, you know, get up. I, mean, I don't know any other kids that ride their bike to and from school that go to you know grind house for an after school you know, workout and ride their bike there. Um, mm-hmm. Got up during the summer, you know, every morning at six thirty in the morning to ride his bike to go work out. So seeing mm-hmm. him sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. And then seeing that payoff, whereas a sophomore, he's on varsity. Yeah. That is a big thing, not just because, hey, he's on varsity and I'm big, proud dad, which I am. But to be able to see him see when you work hard, there's reward. Yeah. When you invest in yourself, there's a benefit back to you. Mm. And so uh, seeing that game where uh, high beat um, Hebron, which they hadn't beat Hebron in 15 years. Mm-hmm. And to see them beat Hebron, and that was that was a climax moment of all of his work, working hard, and coming to a point. It was yeah, really exciting to see. Yeah, I bet I just the to see the work ethic, and also just to see the work ethic pay off. I'm sure is just like mm-hmm. that. That's definitely the more important part than the the yep. you know that he's on varsity. It's just seeing that he's put in putting he's found something he really wants to work towards and is doing the things to to work towards them yeah which will obviously translate to things later in life uh, for sure and even now he's he's got a business he started cleaning windows awesome you know he's an entrepreneur i mean at, at six years old he would sell his paper airplanes out in front of the house that's awesome he he would come can i sell my toys can i you know so yeah it, uh, it's exciting that's... to see 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 that come to fruition that's awesome what is something about you that people would be surprised to find out? Ooh, something that people would be surprised. Try to think. Um, feel like I'm an open book, so being the being surprised part might be. Oh, I uh, I love to fly. You know, I used to have an airplane. Um, I, uh, I'm going to buy another one. Yeah. I want to get, I want to get another airplane and fly, uh, when, uh, everything happened with the motorcycle wreck and everything, I Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure I was ever going to be able to fly again. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I really, um, so they might be, that might be a shock just because it's not something everybody does. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, but being able to being a pilot is a just incredible feeling. It's so, so freeing to be up there and just be able to fly. It's, it's just awesome. Is that something that's always been interesting to you, or is that something you found later? Uh, it's always been some interest, but and I don't know what piqued my interest in, you know, 2010, 2011, where I I got the bug to okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. And of course, in my life, if I can ever attribute it to business, well, now I got to do it. And if I if it's something that can make mm-hmm. money, well, now I'd be dumb not to do it. You know, and so mm-hmm. it's easy once I once I found a way to tie it to the business, and it wasn't just for my own pleasure. Um, but I did enjoy 
flying. Um, I did find a lot of pleasure in it. Now, typically when we have our uh, darkest moments, it's it they're, you know, in the moment they're not good, but we can look back on them and have a ton of lessons. Were there any lessons that you learned from uh, the those two years of the motorcycle accident and the life support and the meningitis and all of that? Man. Um, I am sure I've got some really deep lessons there. Um, the first, like the deepest is probably trying to learn to really be honest with who you are. Like to stop and put down the um, the public front, you know, because no different than Jesus was. We all have layers. We have circles, you know, people on this outer layer, a little bit further in, a little bit further in. But to really learn how to, when you get down to that core, um, to really try to be better at self-reflecting and realizing what's really going on in your life. So what are you dealing with and what are you masking? What are you hiding from? What is, you know, what, what what's really there? Because those things that are there, they're going to surface. And if you don't deal with them, they're going to surface in unhealthy ways instead of healthy ways. And so trying to be trying to be intentional about that and trying to walk out change um a little slower in in, in realizing smart decisions you know trying to put um that energy into what, what would be the smartest thing to do right now rather than what do i feel like i want to do right now mm-hmm. um feelings will lie to us you know feelings are feelings they're all over the place they're up down left right uh, but trying to be uh, trying to be intentional. Um, it's probably my my biggest overall takeaway. Um, just trying to deal with self on a real gut level, real you yeah. know, uh, approach. Yeah, I want to say the um, I forgot the name of the book. It's by Bronnie Ware. I think it's like the Five Regrets of the Dying or something like that. And one of um, them is not living yourself, not living your life true to yourself. Yeah, and living living your life out, out of expectations of others rather than who you want to be. Um, yeah. So having that true sense of self, and like you said, not having the mask, but being who you are, uh, is uh, is huge. Because right. having that mask is exhausting. It is. It's exhausting, and ultimately, it it'll lead you somewhere you really don't want to go. Is the is the hard part. Mm-hmm. Um. What's something you've done for yourself lately? Oh, I know I just did something. Um, something I've done for myself lately. Can I phone a friend? <laughs> just kidding. Uh, um, if you have to ask Judy, it wasn't for yourself. Yeah. Well, I was going <laughs> to say she would know. Um, <laughs> man, I might have to. Well, I'll say this. I'm I'm close to being done um, finishing out my new office. And awesome. that is just for myself. Uh, it's taken a while because of, you know, time, energy and money all at the same time. Right. And so um, ironically, it started at a period that I was taking more naps in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. And my office right now is, you know, a small office. I and mean, we've got a bigger office where the design center is and, you know, my office manager is, but my particular office, you know, is small. 
Mm-hmm. And I uh, I wanted a couch. I wanted a couch to be able to take a nap in the middle of the day. And I decided I'm old enough. By golly, if I want a couch, I'm going to get a couch. I've earned so this. I, yeah. So I started I started redoing the office next door um, that was a uh, building that you couldn't use anymore because of you know the condition it was in. Uh-huh. And so I ended up adding a porch and adding this. And then it just kind of evolved and evolved and evolved. And so I'm just about to get to where I can move into it. I'm starting to look for furniture for it and whatnot. So I'm, I'm close to getting it where I'll have my, you know, patio furniture out and I'll have my, my desk in and I, it'll uh-huh. be functional, but I will have a couch still. Yes. I'll good. Couch where someone like wants to come knock on the door and I'm sleeping. Yeah, I might not over that door, you know, they can yeah. peek in the window maybe and see me sleep and I don't care. They, they can watch me. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've definitely uh, laid down on the floor in my office to uh, get a quick power nap in for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's something to be said about it. Yeah. Some empowering about taking a nap in the middle of the day. Makes, right. It makes it a little, makes it a little different for sure. Um, what have, what have you been reading or watching lately? Um, most of the stuff I've been diving into has to do with business, business growth, mm-hmm. um, business systems, um, just stuff along those lines, st- stuff that goes along with what we're talking about, about just trying to be intentional about mm-hmm. what we're doing right now and mm-hmm. make sure that, you know, um, the sacrifice of not going after what we could go after right now is going to pay off. Mm-hmm. and trying to know when do we take the next step and how do we take the next step kind of like you said while keeping the plate spinning you right you got to keep all the business going and keep the bills paid and we have people probably have no idea our, you know our overhead is substantial right um in, in our even in our industry um our you know from the insurance to you know every bit of people would have no if people saw how much we spend on software alone yeah they would be astonished you yeah. know, um, we just have a, we have a really high overhead that people wouldn't think that we ha- have mm. because of a contractor that is what I like to call Chuck in a truck, mm. you know, Chuck in a truck might not have general liability insurance and he didn't have anything but his gas and his truck and his phone. Mm. And so once you cross the barriers and you do have, you know, offices, office staff, equipment, you know, the right programs that, you know, just all the things that go along with it. It's a, it's a different animal. Yeah. Have you read Traction? I'm not. Okay, that's sounds a sounds like I need to. It's In a business. Voice, it sounds like I need to. It's a business system book, so um, would recommend Traction. by G- Traction by Gino Wickman would be um, one I'd recommend. Um, like I said, it's kind of a they call it the the big the big is the entrepreneurial operating system is what they call it. Oh, okay. EOS you may have heard of. If not. Okay, yeah. So I've got EOS and have read some of some of it. I haven't gotten all the way through it, but I've read some of it and realized, well, a lot of that is how we just operate. Right. You know, as a company, that's how we operate by default. Yeah. So Traction's the book that I guess started it all or the book they made after they made the system. I'm not sure what the order of operations is, but that's the book where that comes oh, okay. from. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. So Last two questions. One is um, I ask a question or ask the previous guest to give a question to me to give to you, even though they don't know who would be next. Um, uh-huh. And then the last one's a real softball. So we'll go with the question from the previous person, which is who most inspires you? Who most inspires me? 
I'm going to remove my default answer, which would be Christ. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, I think so many people would all have that same answer that I'm going to try to think of beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, man. I am drawing a blank. There's your there's your awkward silence. Yeah, no. There's a power uh, in silence. Well, I'll say this, and this sound it sounds so cheesy, and it was my first gut answer the minute you said it. What came to mind? Um, and I thought, well, I can't say that. And the reality is, my wife. Yeah. Uh, my wife has such an ability to be empathetic and to truly, truly care about people, um, and I care. But the level and depth that she cares is down to pain in her soul. Mm-hmm. Like she, you know, I, I've held her crying for hours over someone else's pain. Mm. And so she, that's just who she is. That, that That's who she is, how she operates. It's just anyone that knows her knows that that is real and genuine. And, and that's how it is. And I think that inspires me because I used to have more of that. And the business world has crushed a lot of that out of me. Mm-hmm. You know, back when I was in my late teens, even still had a business, but I you know, was in my, you know, college church group and everything. I had a lot, lot more of that ability to say the whole world can wait. This person right now matters. And it seems like through life and business, holding the world off in order for that person to matter has gotten harder and harder and harder. And so. I think I'm even almost jealous of my wife's ability Hmm. to make that person matter um, because the world is not crushing her so much that she can and she has that empathetic ability. Mm -hmm. And so um, my default answer is my wife. I I think that's a fantastic answer. I I don't think that's a cop out at all. So um, yeah, I, that's a, that's a great answer. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, and then the last one's a real softball. Where can people find out more about you and your businesses? Um, our uh, Fire and Water website is probably the best. Uh, fireandwaterplus.com. Um, Judy and I are on Facebook um, under uh, Scott, the letter N, Judy, J-U-D-Y, Scott and Judy. Um, and then I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, people can look me up on, on LinkedIn. I don't have a I don't have a Twitter and I don't have an Instagram and I don't have all that stuff. I'm still trying to be better about even just doing a simple post because I'm, I used to be a techie, but I think tech passed me 10 years ago. And now I'm no longer even close to a techie. I'm like, Hey son, can you do this for me? <laughs> I think you can be a techie without uh, yeah. interacting a lot with social media. Yeah. At least that's what I well, tell that, myself. <laughs> right. Well that in, in our offices in downtown Wiley on Jackson, you know, yep. if anyone ever wants to, you know, holler, stop by. My new office will be open the next week, you know, next month or so. Yeah, but don't uh, so disturb him while he's time. napping. Yeah, well, you can disturb. I just might not answer. You know, I sleep hard. <laughs> you'll tell you. If I kiss her goodnight and roll over, she can count to 10 and I am out. I, yeah. That is it. That's awesome. Well, thanks, Scott, for joining us. I'll see you tomorrow uh, awesome, for our, our class number two uh, with Wiley ISD and Collin College.
Yeah, well, I really appreciate you taking time to do this. I know it's time out of your schedule, and uh, it's really appreciated. And uh, look forward to what's to come with all the other interviews. Well, these these uh, these have been totally selfish, and I've enjoyed doing the conversations because I get to learn more about people. So, um, yeah. uh, it's it's been a lot of fun for me too. So, well, thanks. All right, thanks so much. Y'all take care.